The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, guys, thank you for joining us on the Pope and Young Podcast. I am Dylan Ray, and I'm joined with my co-host, Mr. Jason Roundsville. Jason, how are you, man? Doing good, Dylan. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And we are joined with uh, with some of my good friends from Bear Archery, Mr. Ryan Schutz and Chris Parrish. Gentlemen, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. Doing now, do wonderful. You guys, do you guys finally get to, after a big product launch, do you finally get to take a deep breath and just say, okay, I'm going to kick my heels up for just a bit? No. I'm going to say, Chris is pretty, yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to laugh when you ask a question like that. No. Yeah. By no, the I time loved, we lo- I loved Chris's immediate answer of no. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no, we're never done innovating, so to say, or working on the next future lines. So when one kind of launches, it's like, oh, well, that's great. But I haven't, you know, lots of times we haven't worked on that in a little while because we're already trying to think ahead and work on the new stuff. So right. um, it's, but that's not a bad thing. It's always fun to be immersed in new project projects. I would say it launched the biggest kind of sigh of relief is to see how the industry takes the new items we launched. And that's, it's, that's like our Christmas. I've said this before is like, don't get me wrong. Christmas is great too, but to see how people react to it just, is kind of everything. So we kind of get Christmas in October at Bear Archery. Yeah, absolutely. It just lets you know that you've got the right thing going out and then what you can do for the following year to piggyback off of it. Well, before we jump in too far, um, gentlemen, give us a quick introduction to yourselves, uh, what you do there at Bear, um, kind of, you know, your role and how you got there. Um, so I am... I'm the director of product management for Bear, and I've been in the industry, the outdoor industry for many years. I worked at Cabela's for a long, long time, um, almost 20 years, and then I've been at Bear for the last few years. And so I definitely um, manage all of the compound bows, and then I have my kind of my hands in in everything else that we do as well. So with Trophy Ridge and traditional and um Broadheads and everything else, but um, I would kind of say all my favorite, all the projects I work the most on are compound side. So it's pretty fun. It's definitely fun to be able to 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 work on the product side with the engineers and everybody else that makes up our team to 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 get our items out into the public. Fine. And uh, I've been in the outdoor industry for nearly 30 years now. Uh, I came from Pradco originally on the game call camera and tree stand side. And, uh, and then been with Bear for going on three years. And I work with the, uh, the crossbow line, the broadhead line, and bow fishing and traditional line. Um, and as Ryan mentioned, we kinda, we've got a really unique team because we all kind of piggyback off of each other and give each other ideas and or um you know make sure that uh, we all agree that we're working on the right projects and ryan does an awesome job his 
his background from Cabela's just is a big insight because, you know, that, that gives you a lot of insight on how to drive your businesses. With a big product launch like this one, and, and I know we've talked about this before, but it, but it's always interesting to me. Um, you guys are working longer than the calendar year on on one product launch, correct? Yes. Yes. And I, you know, for for me, it's just mind blowing that that you know I don't see the process that goes into it. I get a bow and start shooting it and think, man, this bow shoots incredible. But I never see the work that goes into it and the hours and the, you know, the, the sending it back to try something else and doing this and that and all the, the test runs and, and minute changes made to a bow. And so um, it, I can't imagine the, the, the task that you guys are put, put, put with to, to design and create a new bow. So kudos to you guys and congratulations to you guys. So, so that goes more into just, wow, do I have a hat that matches the camo pattern on my new bow? <laughs> yeah, there's a, it's just yeah. a teeny bit deeper than that. Just a little more. Of the, okay. I was, I kind of thought there might be, but yeah, yeah. we want you that know, to happen hat. too, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we yeah, there's not enough hats. <laughs> we've don't, we've, we've, we have talked about this before, Ryan, um, on, on designing and building a new bow. And we talked about how it comes down to like, you know, microscopic little, you know, one thirty seconds of an inch change on a bow. And then you got to rerun it and retry it. And, you know, we're not making big changes here. We're making microscopic little, you know, millimeter changes on, on a cam to rerun the whole bow and try it again. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. So what yep. our goal in everything that we do is to get to the statement you just said, we don't really want our customer or anybody to think about how much we had to put into it because it just works great the first time, every time. That's what, that's what we want. Cause as you know, most of us are bow hunters. Um, the most shots, the, the one shot you get, right? So we want you to be confident in our product that, that you're going to get that one shot. Um, because we took hundreds or thousands into each part to test validate everything. Um, to get it True. there because yeah we've talked before everybody wants to oh it's the limbs and the cams and the riser and you got to test everything if there's one bolt that doesn't work right then the whole thing doesn't work right or one rubber dampener doesn't hold up as long as the riser it's not it's not good so everything just has to be scrutinized to to give you great quality yep right down to the string yeah i uh, i actually just got my um my redemption eko um, over the weekend and I am incredibly excited to, to run off and, and get it set up and start shooting it. Hopefully, hopefully shoot some late season deer with it. Um, before I, I do have one question for you guys before I dive in, I, this morning I was sitting in my blind and <clears throat> I had a, a, a nice buck coming in and the trail that he was coming in on, uh, should have ended up at 30 yards. So he's coming in, and he's about to step into my lane at 30 yards. I go ahead and draw back, and he makes a jump out to what I believe to be 40 yards. I didn't let down and, and, and range him, um, but he was hard quartering away. And I really thought I can still pull this shot in there. Um, now, I, I knew I'm going to have a quartering away shot, so I, I hold back a little bit on the body. I find no blood and no arrow, and... I didn't didn't look for the deer much, you know. I mean, I looked for blood and arrow, and then backed out because I just knew, 
you know, I'll go back eight, ten hours. But what do you guys think of the situation? <laughs> That's a tough there's, one. Um, yeah, I, need, I need help here, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> what type of broadhead were you using? Oh, the SK2, of course. Okay. Well, it's fine if you answered something different, but that's the right answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, my first question is, where did you hit him? Well, it would have had to have been further back. Uh, I know I hit him further back. And at first, um, I, I probably thought I just bounced off the shoulder maybe. But I found no hair. You know, usually if you zip up the side of a deer like that, you're going to find a lot of hair. Uh, I found no hair. Um, so I have to think that it sunk into his guts and, and hopefully got at least a lung um, with how hard he was quartering away. But I just don't know. Um, and, and it sucks because the way he ran out, he ran out into a wide open field um, that has no landmarks, no, okay, I saw him run by this tree, so... Really, it's a grid search of an open field that leads to a riverbank. So it's rough. Well, well, I think I think waiting's a good idea, like what yep. you decided to do. What makes me nervous yep. with those quartering away shots and the back of shoulder blades is what I always think of is that arrow could have stayed in there and, you know, it would cut stuff up as he's moving. So that's not a horrible situation. But when there is no blood, it makes you think, you know, potential guts and no exit wound. No yeah. exit yeah. hole that for was, the blood to drain out of, which is very tough to trail. I'm just speculating, but those are where my mind starts yeah. to go, especially if it's a back shot. Yeah, it's so mis- misleading with the blood trails because I've seen, I mean, phenomenal blood trails uh, on a on a deer or elk that you don't wind up finding. And then I've seen, I mean, I've had a couple elk where there wasn't a drop of blood between where they were hit and where they went down, which was, you know, 50, yards. 60 yards away. Yeah. yeah you couldn't yep. find a drop exactly. of blood. Exactly. You open them up and it's just jelly. And it's like, yep. you know, both the lungs and they just didn't bleed externally. Yep. So it's, it's, you know, gosh, for tracking purposes, that blood trail is so critical, but it, it, it doesn't always dictate exactly how you hit them. I mean, you always hope for the best, obviously. Sure. There, you know, uh, I've, I've, done the same thing you're talking about Dylan and and uh, I've had some bad results and some good results um if that angle is really 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 steep quartering away even when you're uh, you're aiming for that opposite shoulder which that's how we shoot um you know you hit a rib um and I don't care what broadhead you're shooting uh that rib can deflect and push that arrow one direction or the other you know, you could run, your arrow could run right up the edge of the inside of the rib cage and basically cut one long and then lodge into the front part of the deer. And bottom line is a, a deer can live on one long. I mean, depending on how bad it's cut, he can live on one long. If you did get through and you angled in and you got the opposite shoulder or let's say the center of the brisket, that deer is definitely done. Um, I'm surprised that he got out of your eyesight. But if it's a one long liver, let's say, and you didn't catch anything else, you're talking, you know, in six hours, he's down. You're talking about that going to a a creek or a river. Um, I'd give it the six or seven hours. I'd get back in there and go the direction that he went. And those deer, when they are liver liver shot of any kind or, or gut at all, 
they're going to go towards water. They develop a fever. And I have found a lot of deer just knowing that there was water present and, and waiting and then going in towards where that water was. And 95% of the time you find that deer somewhere pretty close to where that water is because they want to get somewhere. That fever starts developing and the water cools them off. I've literally found them in ponds, like dead in ponds or dead in rivers because of that. Yeah, I, a lot of things running through my mind. Um, you know, I just, uh, well, I guess we'll see. You know, I uh, I plan on heading back out this afternoon and and uh, hopefully finding it. But, you know, if not, then we keep hunting and I get mad at the guys who developed the SK2. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what usually happens. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I've never no had kidding. that problem with the SK2, but... but uh, you know, I don't care what broadhead you're shooting, even on a rifle. And Ryan's got as much or more, uh, you know, history with a rifle. You can make a bad shot with a rifle, and deer are hard to find. Uh, it just—it's just the—it's the nature of the beast. Some deer just have that will to live, and they get to places where they're just difficult to find. And without a blood trail, it's tough. Yeah, it absolutely. Yeah, and I is. always think this time of year. I think this time of year too, those, you know, it's rat, testosterone's high. They got a lot of yep. living and going power this time of year. They do all the yep. time, but it definitely seems like you you would make a good shot and be like, you think they'll go down 30, 40. And this time of year, you never, that 30 and 40 becomes 60 and 80 or 100 pretty quickly just because they have so much go. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's tough. The waiting's the worst feeling though. So we hope you find him. Yeah, well, yep. I uh, I went out and ate a ate a whole pizza, you know, to make me feel better, and and it worked. Um, so <laughs> that, that always works. Yeah, it worked a little bit. So, uh, no, yeah. we'll head back out and, you know, like I said, if we find it, great. If not, um, that's part of hunting, and we'll keep hunting. Um, so, all right, gentlemen. Well, what I wanted to talk to you about, we we chased some rabbits. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about was just kind of the history um of bear archery the history of fred bear um i mean he is iconic um in the hunting industry and bow hunting industry for sure um so just wanted to break into um the history with fred bear and, and kind of everything he stood for and and uh how and then move into you know his history with pope and young uh he played a large role with pope and young so um who wants to dive into the history of Fred Bear and Bear Archery? I can I can touch a little bit of it to start. I mean, there there's a lot of history. I mean, so uh it really the company was established was in like nineteen thirty three. So what, it's twenty twenty? Mm -hmm. That that's it's a long, long time ago. So we'd need more than an hour podcast, I think, and there's some historians that definitely know a, a ton about this more more than me um at least with a lot of the details but i'll just touch a little bit of like you know some of his legacy that he laid down um for us that we really work very very hard hard to make sure that we're still you know um making sure that he'd be proud of us today if he if he is around to it and then you know kind of how we see that still going forward with with our company or just in sporting goods as a whole or hunting as a whole so we make fred's big big vision was he wanted archery hunting to be very very accessible to everyone that 
that he could. Like kind of the theory of everything is a very difficult one to achieve really anywhere in life, right? So, but we work hard to make sure like our product lines and things that we're offering are are adapting to that type of thing, right? So that's in the traditional line, that's in the compound yep. line. And even nowadays, lots of times we'll be like, well, you'll hear people say Fred would never have anything to do with a crossbow. No, Fred came out with crossbows. It was, you know, later in the, the company, but um, we're even, we're, we're part of that. I mean, his belief was pretty strong that the tools that get people to deer hunt with archery are the kind of things we chase. And then lately we push hard. You probably saw your redemption bow that you mentioned is one of the first ones we came out with where there's a little emblem on the back that says the Fred bear way. That's very, very important to us that we thought would be a, you know, a good way to pay homage to, to Fred and get this newer generation that's getting out and hunting, um, which we've really seen grow in the last couple of years, especially the last six months or so, um, as we all have more time at, at home, um, you know, to, to try to see Fred Bear and to, to think about the things he did. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have said that any better. I mean, you know, Fred, Fred was an icon in the industry. Um, the things that he did to, to try to bring archery to the masses was beyond what probably is being done in this world today with anything. He, he was very adamant about the direction he wanted to go, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. And he wanted everyone to be involved. And he, you know, as much as he loved to hunt and take animals and, and harvest, you know, quality animals, it was about the hunt to him. It was about spending time in nature and, and just, you know, absorbing, everything that there was to do out there. And, you know, he, obviously his legacy goes way back. He's born in 1902 and, uh, you know, he started a long, long time ago trying to build and be a part of the, the best in archery that there was to offer. And uh, I don't know as anyone in archery or even hunting, if you will, left a bigger legacy than Fred Bear. Yeah, and I, I would 100% agree with you. And that is, you know, that's kind of why we wanted to have um, have you guys on to just talk about this history of Fred Bear because, um, you know, Pope and Young stands for, stands for um, archery, and, and Fred Bear stood for archery. Um, now, let me ask you what the Fred, the Fred Bear way, which let me just say I love it. Um, what, what do you think that means in the hunting industry? You know, when I hear that, when I see that on my bow, on my riser, um, what, what, how, what should that resonate inside of me? What should that mean for me? So, um, well, we really kind of want everybody to have their own personal way with it because, you know, at the company, we hear people look at it all different ways. You'll have somebody bring up like one of the you know, little bighorn hunts or something that they saw on TV way back when, or something that's on YouTube now. And, um, and it's the thing that touched them. And then there's other times where we often just, they don't even bring up archery. They're just like, well, that's why I wanted to hunt seeing those old, um, videos of Fred and things like that, which, which is also great. Um, also the family aspect of it gets, you know, gets pretty strong. Um, 
what I would say when we put that on that specific bow um, this year, the way that this year has gone, I can tell you when we decided to do that, really where my mind was, was it's just, you know, this year has been tough with COVID and everything like that. And Fred has so many great quotes and lives so um, just wanting to get you out in you know, into the wilderness, you know, spending some time alone. Um, you know, he used to always talk about um, how good it was for the soul of a bow hunter. And I think this year, more than more than recent ones, we, we kind of need that clarity. I mean, there's so much anxiety around. And he was, you know, he was preaching that get out and hunt and, you know, feel the calmness and understand that there's so much more around you way back then. And we definitely need a little bit of that right now. Yeah, every, everybody needs a little of that right now. Yeah, I can't even add to that. That's that's exactly. Yep. Spending time in the woods right now is a good thing. <laughs> now, Fred Bear had such a a not only a a a large footprint in the hunting industry, um, like you said, uh, Ryan, but but he had such a rich rich history with uh, the Pope and Young Club. Um, Art, Art Young and, and Fred were, were really good friends. Um, and, and, you know, I heard some articles of, of them saying that Fred Bear's first animal was taken, uh, you know, with Art kind of being his guide and helper there. And so, um, and, and one thing I didn't know and in looking into this, um, Fred Bear's last kind of, um, speech or convention where he was the featured speaker, um, was the Pope and Young Convention in, in Tulsa, uh, in 1987, uh, he spoke at that. And then, you know, the following, uh, following year he passed away and that was kind of his last speech, um, or his last guest appearance was, was at the Pope and Young convention. So such a rich, rich history. Um, and I know, I know Jason, uh, kind of has a, a little bit more of, of a handle on, you know, everything that Fred Bear did with Pope and Young. Um, but that's just why we wanted to have you guys on here because he's one of those legacies, not only in the outdoor industry, but especially in the Pope and Young organization. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize just how involved he was with Pope and Young. Fred Bear was one of our founding members, was a, a key officer to the club, and, a, and at one point was a, was a vice president. Um, I know he was close with Glenn St. Charles, who is – yeah, that's who our museum's named after there in Chatfield. And uh, even to this day, if you look at the importance of Fred Bear to the club, um, you know, our trust fund, if you get to a certain level of donor, you reach the Fred Bear Society. So there's a lot of um, real <laughs> neat components. Yeah. So if you get to a certain level, you you become a member of the Fred Bear Society and we <laughs> honor you at our national convention and um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty neat when you look at how, how archery was started in the United States and then, you know, the, the marketing that Fred Bear did to everyone, you know, like you talked about, how do we make this available to everyone? And then you see, and, you know, he had, uh, gosh, he had a, at one point in time, he had a world record brown bear with Pope and Young. So it's those two stories are intertwined. It's hard to have one without the other. It's very mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah, he was actually, Fred, when, when we started our trust fund way back when, and I don't recall the year of this, but he was the first $1,000 donor to our trust fund. So 
obviously it was important to him and and we appreciate that because it's it's grown from there now how many do you guys know off the top of your head how many um how many world records or pope and young animals he shot i don't i know i it was a lot over the years but or i i believe it was but maybe jason has more insight i'm not sure you know that would have been good information for me to look up prior to this, wouldn't it? I am trying to find it. I I, I just did just Here to go. just to try to pull that up to see if I could get that information for you. I did find that he broke six different six different world records. That's not saying he still holds them, but uh, he broke them at the time. Uh, broke six different world records, including. Uh, brown bear, like you said, Jason. Well, let me see if I can find the list. Uh, I know he killed more animals than I have. Um, Alaskan brown bear, bear and ground caribou, mountain caribou, uh, Canadian moose, and stone sheep. So there you go. That's a pretty good list. Yeah. Uh, it also yeah, says, it is. It also says he shot a four-ton elephant at 40 yards. Um, so that's, you know... I mean, that's a lot. That's nothing to shake a stick at. No, <laughs> it's, you reckon it's not. But, but Dylan, in your defense, an, an elephant presents a little bigger target than a whitetail. So <laughs> no kidding. He, yeah, he did have that going for him. Yeah. <laughs> now this says that he was the second person ever to take a male lion shot with a bone arrow. Um, the first person to take a male lion was none other than Art Young. So um, that's a pretty good piece of information there art took the first male lion um art as well took the first cape buffalo with a bow and arrow um with fred bear quickly to follow in both of those categories with a cape buffalo and a male lion so um yeah i mean i guess they were pretty bad dudes you know well it's pretty cool too to see him both be able to kill animals like that so closely together just gives you an idea of how they were both pioneering at the same time yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, gentlemen, here's something we like to do. We like to ask our guests, um, and, and this doesn't this doesn't have to be backcountry. It doesn't have to be whitetail. It doesn't have to be. It can be anything. What's one kind of uh, extra amenity that you always keep with you when you're hunting? Um, we, me and Jason both have our favorite answer given to us thus far. Um, but, but what's your, what's your one thing that you always make sure and have with you when you're going out hunting? Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I'll, I'll let you go first. I don't know. I like to take a lot of things. That's probably a problem. Well, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny that you ask that because a lot of people ask me, well, gee whiz, man, you know, you're only going, you know, 20 minutes down the road. I never, ever, ever go anywhere without something to start a fire with. There you Sounds go. Sounds crazy, but I can tell you a many a times it has been a big changer in how the night went, especially if I've got a deer down. Uh, it took me a while to find him. It's late. Uh, I'm not worried about starting a fire as far as, you know, burning the woods down and um, getting him taken care of. It, it's uh, kind of a nice little gesture and uh, you just never know when it's going to come in handy. Nice. And then you can cut some back straps right out and put cook them on an open fire. 
If you're hungry, that's great. I, actually, I, I, I uh, a few years ago, I went on a doll sheep hunt in Alaska, and I killed the doll sheep. We got trapped by a uh, a stream and couldn't get out, and we actually cooked uh, one set of ribs over an open fire, and that might have been the best meal I've ever had in my life. Now, wow. I have an interesting question for you, and anybody can chime in here. If you were to go into your backyard right now and start a fire and take a rack of ram ribs and cook it over that open fire, would it taste half as good as it did in the mountains? No. It'd be good, but uh, it never <laughs> tastes as good as it does in the mountains, <laughs> especially when you've lived off of freeze-dried food. Yes. <laughs> I think there's something about that, yeah. Unless it's like the very first day when you're in the mountains and you're you're tired, everything tastes a little bit better. Yeah, well, yeah you eat dirt and it's pretty good. <laughs> Why? Well, well, I don't know because I'd have a big old bar bottle of barbecue sauce there. It might taste all right. <laughs> yeah, if you did it at home, you'd have seasoning and sauces and everything else. Oh yeah, yeah. It don't even matter out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been there's been so many times where you know we're out in the woods with our friends, out in the mountains, or you know even sitting in a duck blind and we you know pull some duck breasts out and cook with them there. There's been times I'm like that was absolutely phenomenal. And then I'll come home. I'm like, babe, listen, I found a new recipe. You got to try this. This is amazing. You just cook it like just like this. And I'm like, yeah, it's not near as good. Something ain't right here. Yeah, sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's because when you're in your kitchen, you, you don't literally have to like cut a Mountain Dew can apart so you have something to cook the right. duck breasts on, right. on over your heater. Yes. You know? No, and, and maybe you guys can chime in, and and I don't know, you know, if there's any truth to this, but. Uh, and Ryan, don't think you're off the hook. I'm still going to get to you on what you always carry with you. <laughs> um, you know, people who people who say I don't like wild game. Uh, I don't like wild game. You know, it doesn't taste good. Blah blah. I think it's because they've never had that factor of it. Um, they've never had that off in the mountains cooking, uh, cooking a, a slice of backstrap over an open fire, or or you know pulling a breast out of a turkey and cooking it right there with your buddies. They've never experienced that, so they don't tie that with wild game. And I think that's part of the reason they don't enjoy it. They don't like it. There's another factor involved, and it has to do with how people take care of their game after they harvest it. And there's a lot that goes into it. You know, if you want good wild game, you take care of it properly after you harvest it. You know, if a person goes out and, and slaughters a, a, a beef cow, uh, you don't put it in the back of your truck and drive around and show everybody for three days. You go take care of it. And you make sure that that meat's properly taken care of. And, and wild game is nothing but a, a wild cow or a wild pig, if you will. And you take care of the, the meat properly, and it's always good. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all, I think it's all about how you take care of that game and you take care of it right. It's, it's always going to be good. And obviously, cooking it the right way, I think wild game in general is a lot like, uh, a lot like cooking a good steak. Um, you can overcook it. You can make it bad if you don't cook it correctly. I think there's also what I've found in my experience. There's there's kind of the mental aspect. I agree that that game prep is critical. I mean that was that's how I grew up. It's like oh he's down. All right, get the guts out, get the hide off, hang him in a tree, um, cool it out as fast as you can, and like you say, not drive around town for three days showing it off. But I think part of it where I've seen people come in and maybe people that wouldn't have been super open to wild game because they just weren't around it 
And then all of a sudden you, you cook them a meal, they eat it. And then, Oh yeah, that was, by the way, that was elk or that was venison. They're like, really? I normally wouldn't have eaten that. And I think there's a mental aspect that if you tell them up front, then they're expecting it to be a certain way. And then their brain kind of talks them into it. And, uh, so I, th- I think that goes along with it in some cases as well. You know, I would totally agree with that. I made a mistake, Jason, and I married a yuppie woman, and she doesn't like <laughs> wild game. <laughs> All right, you might want to edit that part out. Yeah. Just saying. Brother, I was going to say, I don't yeah. think I'd have said you that. You might want to. Brother, listen, <laughs> yeah. I've done a lot of podcasts in the world, and I've talked a lot about her on podcasts. <laughs> And she ain't never listened to one of them. So I'm not too worried about it. And I call her yuppie yeah. all the time anyways. So, but she yeah. doesn't like wild game. She doesn't enjoy wild game. And I thought the same thing. I'm like, I'm going to start sneaking it in and she'll never know. And sure enough, we were at home for the holidays. Um, well, not a holiday. We went home for a funeral. And, uh, and my dad made spaghetti and he used venison. And I noticed my wife picking out all of the meat. And I was like, good Lord, she she could actually tell. This wasn't in her mind. She doesn't like the taste of it. Huh. So, I, and I don't know if she's so tuned to, like, my dad being a redneck and she just knew he was going to use uh, wild game or not. But, um, yeah, I've always thought it's probably just in her head, so I'm going to start sneaking stuff in there. Um, but she's, she's started figuring out outside of me telling her. So maybe she truly just doesn't actually like the taste of venison. I don't know. I can't fathom that, but maybe. Yeah, dude. Yuppie. Am I right? I mean, it just screams yuppie. I, I, I'm not going to validate that at all. Like, that's you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I agree. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get into that conversation. Listen, gentlemen, trust me. I, uh, I, I know, I know. You're on your own. I could send her I could send her a link to this and say, Hey, go ahead and listen to this. Let me know what you think. And uh she'll text me back and say, Oh yeah, it sounded great. And, and then I know she never listened to it because she would have said, I can't believe you called me a yuppie. <laughs> Ryan, go ahead and tell us, man, what's the one thing you always carry with you? I there's there's two that come to mind. I'm gonna say one though is so if people know me, I'm very bald headed. So I always carry face paint like when I hunt anything basically i'll i'll take it to the duck goose turkey obviously deer elk like i always and for whatever reason i always bring extra i don't like to to archery hunt or shoot with like a face mask very badly i like to be able to still put my hand against my face so i always have face paint in my bag for some reason that's a good one that's good what's your other one my other one is i get very cold feet. It's like a, so I, I, you will probably never see me in my life without socks. Socks are a cute, like I sleep in socks. I live in socks. Don't really like sandals. So I tend to bring extra socks, even like, even what Chris said, you can see my truck many times and there will be an extra, there will be extra socks in my bag where literally if I got that cold, I could just go back to the truck. But I always put extra socks in there in case they would get wet for some reason. And I've probably never used them, but they're still, I still carry them with me. Better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Yep. I figured I can handle the the bag being a little bigger or heavier. 
Yeah. So what's the best one you've ever heard then? I've I've got to say Justin Gordon came on and and he said when he's in the back country, he said that he always takes bacon. And I'm like, man, I, I'm there. I think that's just about perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> He don't have any faith in his killing skills, does he? (laughs) You you know, I mean, he he just took that new world record mule deer. So, yeah, I I just said that to be a smart aleck. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I don't know. See, I've never shot any of those big old bucks like that. But, uh, you know, my fork and orange tastes great. I don't know how good the table fare that one would be in, in relation. So I did like the bacon concept, though. But you know, I would that, agree. That's a good idea. That takes away <laughs> yeah. that takes away the joy of that final meal because you know, uh, like we said, that's what makes that that you know rack of ribs over the open fire taste so good is that we haven't had real food. So if he's eating bacon all week, uh, then when he gets to that uh, that last final meal on the mountain, it's not going to be as good. I don't know if I carried bacon with me for for five, six, ten days and waited till the end, I'd be thinking about it an awful lot. <laughs> well, then you, then, you know, one thing you could do is you could wrap those <laughs> ribs in bacon. It'd be pretty daggum good. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong, Chris. No. <laughs> I, you know, I've eaten a lot of wild game in my life. Pretty uh, near everything that you can think of on the North American continent, except for grizzly bear. And, I'll have to say doll sheep is probably the finest meat that I have ever, ever tasted in my life. It It is actually, it's, it rivals elk. It rivals moose. It's, it's incredible. It's incredibly good meat. Really? Yep. It's, uh, it, it's not, it's not like, you know, a lot of people think of sheep as mutton and it's, it's not the same thing. It's not even close. You know, I, uh, I, I recently harvested my first bear. Um, and, and I, you know, I did a podcast with you guys, uh, leading up to that hunt. Um, but I recently harvested my first bear and I can't say that bear is now my favorite wild game because I've only eaten that bear. Um, uh, but that bear tasted absolutely phenomenal, better than any other wild game I've ever had. Um, and up to that point, I would have said axis deer was my favorite, but that bear, and again, I can't say bear in general, but, but that bear there uh tasted absolutely fantastic and my wife ate it so that's how i know it was good <laughs> you know i've heard a lot of people say that uh cougar is their favorite really well uh, yeah i've yeah. heard that too I've, I've never i've never eaten a cougar but i've heard that i've heard a lot of people talk about that i uh it's funny because uh not too long ago and I, you know i don't want to call anybody out but not too long ago uh we heart we we posted a picture of a cougar on the pope and young page and somebody um commented on the post saying you know how dare you shoot this because i know you're not eating it and i thought to myself you know there's a lot of things that that uh i probably shouldn't have ate that i did who are you to say that i'm not going to eat this you know I, I i mean i've eaten everything i've ever harvested so I guess hey, you just validated it though. A lot of people think cougar's the best, so I've I've heard that from more people than than I mean every time I hear it, it still surprises me a little bit. Man, now I gotta try some. Anybody got a, anybody yeah. got cougars they want me to come hunt with them this year? Now will you find that person, let me know. I'll go with you. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> 
we'll start a list. <laughs> we're gonna we'll plan yeah. a cougar hunt, gentlemen. That's where we're headed on a cougar hunt. Jason, go ahead and tell me, man. Um, I'll t- I'll save mine for another episode. But you go ahead and tell me what's one thing you always carry with you in the field. Well, man, late, lately an extra outboard motor would be handy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're a little heavy and they're not going to do you much good on the mountain. I, I don't have... I don't have an answer that's as poetic as some of the ones we've gotten, but, uh, so, so I'm going to hold off on that. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you mine. I, I'd say some- mine's easy. Okay. Mine's easy. Tylenol specifically Tylenol PM man, whether I'm on a whitetail hunt and, and I've got some, you know, maybe funnier things. Um, but, but you know, toilet paper, always carry toilet paper, but whether I'm on a whitetail hunt with an outfit, uh, and I'm sleeping in a lodge, you sit in a tree stand for 12 hours a day for four days. Your back's hurting. Your rear end's hurting. Um, and that's, just, you know, Tylenol PM just helps you go to sleep better. Or whether you've been tracking around a mountain all day and your knees and ankles are starting to hurt, Tylenol PM helps you sleep better. So uh, that's what I always carry with me, man, no matter where I'm going or what I, what kind of hunt I'm on, Tylenol PM. I like it. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for taking time out of your day to come on. Uh, is there any more Fred Bear history or Pope and Young Fred Bear history that we that we need to cover? How about a preview? What's what's the next big exciting? Th- I know you guys just had a pro- big product drop, but what's the next thing we should be looking at from Bear? Well, we Dude. don't want to give too much away. We want everybody Look, to to keep watching. Sneak peek. Um, I don't know that we have much sneak peek. I would say though. Um, we're very, especially on the traditional side. I mean, yep. we brought Keep your back eye out on the, traditional. <laughs> we brought back the Meg okay. riser. We started to do some new patches the way that, you know, uh, Fred Bear used to. So um, we think a lot of that stuff's pretty fun right now in the industry. So don't be surprised very to nice. see more items like that. Just released. Excellent. All right. Just released two um, limited edition or special edition bows. Uh, one, the final edition of the Kuma 30, and then one special edition of the Divergent, which those right there, those are two of my favorite bows ever made. Um, I, I still prefer the Kuma 30 over the status. Um, so, so those two special editions or, or final editions are, are some phenomenal, uh, offerings. So go check those out if you haven't seen those yet. Um, guys, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and, For those of you who are listening, look for bigger and better things to come uh, from Bear Archery and Pope and Young. We hope to do some bigger and better things in the future together um, because we are, we do hold such a rich value and such a rich history together. So um, we're excited to see uh, what all we can do together moving forward. And so thanks for listening. You guys have a great week.